and go through 21 today. So John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, then I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay my life, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, and I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. And this charge I have received from my Father. And I know, let's stop there for a minute, I know you're going to find this shocking reality the religious leaders don't like what he said and so they're upset again but then there's another group who are like wait a minute let's really think about this so 19 so again there was division among the jews because of these words many of them said he has a demon and is insane why listen to him but others said these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon can a demon open the eyes of the blind. So let's talk first of all this morning about Jesus' warning of the enemy connected in verse 10, and then he's also going to talk about what he has to offer. Though it is clear in Christ's warning, I think sometimes it may be lost on us on the, on the reality of who our enemy is and his aim and the seriousness in regard to what he is wanting to do in the lives of believers. So if you are living outside of the sheepfold and you're living away from God, you are in danger because away from the presence of Christ is where our lives are opened up more to any kind of influence, temptation, or even trouble that we may bring by our choices by not walking closely in obedience to Christ. This thief, according to Jesus, has one main purpose in mind, and that is us, and to do three things, threefold aim of him in, in targeting our lives, and that is to steal, to kill, and destroy. And so Jesus is being very clear. We need to be very serious about this and understand what is being communicated here. The enemy doesn't care about green pastures, doesn't care about quiet waters, doesn't care about putting oil over holes where snakes are there. He cares nothing about that. His aim is to destroy us. This thief also, as we have discussed previously, is a liar. He is the father of lies and is going to do anything that he can to keep you and I from experiencing the deep pleasure in life that can be found in Christ. So let's talk about this word for a moment that Jesus used here, this word thief. In the Greek, it carries two meanings. The first meaning is an embezzler or a pilferer. And the second meaning is somebody 
who is an abuser of the confidence or the trust that someone has, particularly for the gain of the thief. Now, we've heard about embezzling banks. We know there are people who embezzle things, who take the money that belongs to other people for their benefit. And so this is the word that Jesus is using. He is someone who is constantly aiming to take. Satan is never going to give you and I anything that we need for life. He is a taker. This other word here, um, pilferer, is a word that um, we almost had happen to us um, a couple of years ago when we were traveling in Europe. We were on an uh, a underground train, and it was really tight, and, and uh, Pam was holding her purse, and all of a sudden her purse was open, and uh, we recognized as we were getting ready to get off that, that her billfold was halfway out, and another man had his hand on her billfold, and, and uh, she... I've seen my wife very fired up on that train that day and kind of shocked a man and the billfold fell to the ground and we were able to get it. But the other idea is somebody who's like a pickpocket who just very subtly steals and takes. Now I want you to notice this. These are the words that Jesus is using in describing Satan. He is an embezzler who violates and destroys things by taking He steals things sometimes in small amounts without anyone knowing. And the other aspect of that is he is an abuser of the confidence that people have in God. And so there's probably some of us in the room today who have less trust in God today. Not that we should have, but the enemy through the years has stolen and taken and has convinced us and we've agreed with him That God isn't all good. And we're going to talk today that He actually is all good in every kind of way, all the time, in everything that He does. So this is the meaning that Christ speaks of here. Our enemy, Satan, the devil, he is an embezzler, he is a pilferer, he is an abuser of the confidence that people would have in who God is. And so Christ gives us this vivid picture and this vivid illustration. We have all known this probably in our lives, not probably, but likely we have, we have come to know this, that the enemy is great at this. He is a great, go for it, go for it, this is going to be awesome, and he's this great cheerleader, great encourager, and then we make a decision, and then he's this great condemner, and he just flips it, and he just says, gosh, somebody, somebody who knew the Lord wouldn't do something like that, and so he never offers, in all of his conniving and is deceiving and is lying he never says what's at the end of that road does he because he knows it's destruction and that's what he's aiming at in our lives is to lead us down that road to move us to a place of destruction and he desires nothing but ruin in our relationship with christ and so i want to remind us this morning back in genesis chapter 3 with adam and eve they were not atheists they were not agnostics they were people who knew God and Satan comes along and says to them God's holding out on you he's nearly not all good if he was all good he would let you eat of all of the trees and look at him he's told you you could eat of all these things but that one he he's holding out on you in regard to that one tree and they bought the lie she took the fruit she ate it Adam watched her do this she gave it to Adam Adam took the fruit and ate And then sin entered the world. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He is a thief. 
But I have some great news this morning. There is God who is our good shepherd who is far greater than him. They are not equals, by the way. They are not equals. He is a fallen angel. He is a liar and a deceiver. And our God reigns supreme sovereign over the world. So let's look at the second part of verse 10 and what Jesus had to say. So Jesus gives us this warning of the enemy. Secondly, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So let's talk for a moment about that Jesus came to give us life abundantly. There are three things connected to his coming and what he was giving to us as he speaks of here in verse 10. The first one is this. He came to give us his presence. So he came. He says, I came. I left heaven and I have come here and I came to be near you. So as the door Jesus invites us to come into relationship. He draws us into relationship. We've got a door by the cross. We enter through the door of Christ. He is the one. He is the one also who paid the sacrifice for us to have this relationship. And so as our great shepherd and as our great defender, he will defend and guard. And the only way you can defend and guard is to be near. You've got to be near. A goalie in a soccer game can't be at midfield. They've got to be at the goal guarding so that a ball can't come. And so that's what Christ does as he speaks here. As our great defender, he came to be near us, to bring protection and to guard us and to remind us of the necessity to stay close to him. Now, there are many throughout the history of the world and many in the scripture who were deeply close and intimate with Christ who had trouble. So there are, there's pain that comes, and the trouble is not that they caused, but just life is broken and it's hard and there are things that happen. And so you can walk intimately with Christ, be walking in obedience, and get a cancer report. Or you can have some other issue that may come and enter into our lives. So the promise is not comfort all the way. The promise is this, His presence all the way. So trouble's going to come whether we have done it or not, but our biggest trouble comes when we step away. When we step away from the shepherd, then we open our lives up to the temptation and the lies. But Jesus here says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to bring my presence. I have brought my presence into the world to be near you. Remember James 4 verse 8. Draw near to God and He will what? Draw near to you. Draw near to Him. And so that is the call that we would draw near to Him. And again, we're not promised a life without trouble, but we are promised this, His presence in the valley of the shadow of death. He told us that He would be with us to the end of the age. So we are never not going to, if we are His children... We are never not going to be safe if we will stay close to Him. It doesn't mean, again, that there might not be something happen in our lives, but it's when we step away when the trouble comes. And so Jesus says, I have come to be near you, and I have come for this purpose, to give you life, and a life that you didn't have. Oh, you were breathing, but you were not alive on the inside. And so Jesus here says, I have come that they may have life. Life And it seems very important this morning 
to make this statement for us that when Christ came, He didn't come to inspect the earth to see how things were going. He didn't come with any of that in mind just to see how things were. He came to give His life as a ransom for lost, broken people. So Jesus says, I've come to give my presence. I've come to be near you. I have come to give life. And then thirdly, he says this, and I'm not just talking about a good life, but I'm talking about an abundant life. A life that is abundant, a life that is full. This Greek word abundant here is a math word for all you math people in the room or baking people. Um, It's a picture of having the right amount at the top. You've got the right amount for, for the cake to be made right and, and for it to be good. And, or let's, how about let's think of a bowl of ice cream because ice cream is awesome. So you've got a bowl of ice cream and it's good and it's full. It's at the top there. And you look inside and it looks good. But what makes ice cream better is hot fudge. And I think a big bowl of ice cream should have lots of whipping cream. On top of that, I'm not into cherries at all, so I don't want cherries. But there's other things you could, sprinkles are awesome. Colored whipped cream is great on top of really good ice cream. And what I'm in silliness in a sense saying is this, is this is the meaning of this word. Not only does he give us authentic, real, genuine life. This word means he adds extra. He keeps adding Life to life. And this is a life where he's not saying it's going to happen just when you get to heaven. No, this is an opportunity now that in the midst of this world, we can know an abundant life where Christ is at work. So this word means an exceeding, exceeding a fixed measure of something or need. It is something that is over and above that which is even necessary. It's something that's superior, extraordinary, and surpassing. So not only does Christ give us everything that we need that is essential, but He also keeps adding, extra adding, life to those who love Him and who walk with Him. We don't just get the common manner of things, but as we follow and we listen to His voice and we walk with Him, Jesus adds to our life to make it an abundant life. And I want to remind us this morning that the abundant life is not connected to the abundance of possessions. Jesus warned about that. Someone in the crowd said, "Brother, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, I am not your judge or arbitrator, but you need to take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So there is an abundance in a relationship with Christ where He works, where this life has in its essence a continual adding of things to our family, to our work, to our church, in our friendships, in our food, in our marriages, in our relationships, in knowing Him, in missions, in our service. He just adds and He adds and he adds, and he makes it an incredible, unique experience. The question has to be asked, though, this morning is, um, I don't know about your life and my life, sometimes I just don't feel like I'm leading an abundant life, and I, I'm distracted or 
whatever the case may be. So why is that? What seems to get in the way of us experiencing what Christ, who is telling the truth here, says can be known by us and experienced in our lives? So let me, give, let me just pose three of these things that I think get in the way. One is we seek out our own pasture. We decide to kind of go our own way, to drift away from Him and, and whatever it is, lack of focus, whatever the case may be, um, we quit coming to Him. We keep, quit staying close to Him and reading His Word and, and being connected with others. And we strike out on our own. And, and uh, sometimes we, um, I've done this in my life. It's been a while, but I've done this in my life where I kind of strike out of my direction and I look back at God and say, if you want to come along, you can come. But this is where I'm going. Doesn't always turn out well, right, to do that. But sometimes we strike out on our own, and that causes us to miss out on this abundant life. Here's a second reason we miss out. And I know anybody, nobody in the room can relate to this, but you probably know somebody who can relate to this. We are deeply impatient with his timing of what he's doing in our lives. You know, we get to a place sometimes we're like, okay, God, come on, God, God. Now, come on, God, God, I'm waiting, God, I'm waiting. And, and God is, is sometimes saying to us, no, wait, wait, just wait, wait. Because down the road, where He already is, He's going to open up a door. And He's going to, instead of us trying to make something happen, to trust Him and trust His opening of the door for us. And so sometimes we're impatient with His timing and we, it's His timing and we get frustrated. Here's a third reason that I think we miss out on the abundant life um, that he offers is that we become confused about what true life is and we get lost by being grounded to the things of this world. And these things don't last. Um, They're going to be given to somebody else. Somebody's going to get them. And then if they last after them, they're going to give them and then things just don't last. Like my battery cable yesterday had been working trying to get rid of the corrosion for months and months. And yesterday I drove my truck all day until it was time for Canyon's basketball game. And I go out there and shh, take the cable off and it's just corroded away. And so things here don't last. So Jesus, the counsel is, don't buy into Everything that the world has to offer, it is not going to last. But there is something that is going to last, and that is this relationship with Christ. And so Jesus warns us of the enemy. Jesus tells us, I have come to give you life, extra added life, and things that are connected with me. And so now he's going to speak of that he is something. And this is unique. These are important words. He is going to describe himself. So that you and I would understand who he is. And he's going to describe himself with the words, I am. Now this word is ego am I. And it means this. There's multiple ways you can kind of look at this. It means I am the existing one. It's what he spoke to Moses in Exodus 3. Um, Another way you can translate this is I exist. Um, I be, I am. I am the one who is active and existing problem here fix this um and then uh, another way to look at this is it means this he is the being he is the god and this is what this statement means here in the scripture and so today we're going to see that he says that i am the good 
shepherds. Let's talk about that for a moment. Look with me in 11 through 13 again, and let's talk just for a moment here. So I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming, coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus is wanting us to know here that he is the one. He is God. He is the one who is the good shepherd. So the great I am is the good shepherd. Absolutely good. He is God in our midst taking care of us and doing what only he can do for the sheep. So let me define for us what this word good means connected to shepherd. So it means this in the Greek, this word good. It's a Greek word called kalos. It's K-A-L-O-S, and it means this. It means a goodness that when you look at it, that it just strikes the eye, and you're just moved by what you see. It just is like, you look at that and go, that, that, that is beautiful. That is awesome. It's kind of like what we do. Some nights when you see a sunset and the sky is just lit up and you just go, wow, no painter could do that. As great as painters are, nobody could do that. And it just strikes the eye. But here Jesus is using this word to say this is what it's like when you understand that I am the good shepherd. When you get this, that I'm the good shepherd, you will see me with a striking beauty and magnificence that will transform your life and your understanding, and your walk with me. And so everything that Christ does, He does perfectly and good. Everything that Christ says, He says at the right time, and it is perfectly good. And so everything connected to His work and who He is, is good. But let's talk now as Jesus contrasts Himself and a hired hand. And let me give you three things that I want us to see about this contrast. The first one is this, is that the good shepherd sacrifices his life by laying it down. The hired hand does not lay his life down. Now yesterday morning, got up really early, came out to the Life Point disc golf course and played disc golf out here. We came around the corner and two bobcats were on the church property a mama bobcat and a little baby bobcat, and they'd come from this subdivision back here, I think hunting household pets, I guess. And they'd come this way, and there they were. They saw us, and they didn't want to have anything to do with us, and so they, they ran on. But you probably have seen, there's just constant chatter of bobcats in people's backyards eating animals and, and attacking pets. And you may have seen somewhere in America today a, a bobcat attacked a wife, and there was a real man, if you've seen the video, grabs the bobcat off of his wife and throws it off of her and and then he and then he just does something to the bobcat and and uh it doesn't breathe anymore the bobcat had rabies and stuff and so um but but there is a real enemy that we talked about a while ago a real serious enemy and let me tell you about shepherds if you were a shepherd in israel a couple of thousand years ago or three thousand years ago this was your responsibility if a wolf came or a lion came and grabbed one of your sheep and carried it off, you would have to chase it down. You didn't do, oh, well, dangerous. Sorry, buddy. 
Fight your way out. No, the shepherd had to go chase the lion, the bear, or the wolf down. And I'm going to show you a scriptural reference to this here in a moment. And whatever was left of the sheep, when the shepherd got to the predator that had attacked the sheep, he still dealt with the predator and sent it away. And watch this. He carried back the pieces back to where he was. So even the pieces mattered. So the prophet Amos wrote these words in Amos 3.12. Thus says the, the Lord. These are God's words. As the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria, who have been outcast and gone and in trouble, be rescued with a corner of a couch or a part of a bed. I want you to hear this this morning because this is really incredibly significant. Our God, who is the good shepherd, that when we wander away and we have been attacked and we have been drug off and the world has been chewing on us and it feels like we have lost a part of ourselves because of the enemy. Just as he says there, he goes and he gets the remaining pieces and he brings them back. Why? Now, a real shepherd can't do this with a sheep that just has two legs left. But I want to tell you what God can do. God can take the leftover pieces of our lives and he can bring wholeness. He has that power and he has that kind of ability. And I recognize there may be people in the room this morning that your life has been a mess and your life is broken. You feel like there's not much left of who you used to be. You have been devoured by the enemy. You have been devoured by choices that you have made. I want you to know this morning that there is a good shepherd present in this room today. And he seeks broken people. And he will, just as he did with them, he will go and bring back. He values the pieces of our lives to bring back restoration. We can't do that but He can. He has that ability and that power. And we, He has this great, because He's God, He can do that. But one of the great things about Him is that He laid His life down. And He will lay His life down so that you and I could know life. And so for all shepherds, they knew the risk of the job. They knew the danger that was connected with that. But they were willing to lay their lives down for the sheep. A hired hand would not do that. They just back off and think of themselves. And so I want you to notice this, that in our condition of our lives, broken, devoured by the enemy, lost, separated from God, our God, Jesus, King Jesus, in heaven, where the angels couldn't stop adoring Him, left that place and came here to be around you and I, to lay His life down and to bring restoration and hope and meaning to our lives. And again, these are not my words. We are, these are Jesus' words as He describes Himself. I am the Good Shepherd, and the Good Shepherd does this. He lays His life down for the sheep. 
You see, Jesus is the only one who's ever lived on this planet who didn't need someone to die for sin. He had no sin. And so therefore, he is the one, the only one who is qualified to lay his life down for people like us so that we could have hope. And this calls us to watch who we follow. Watch and listen to what they say and to follow him and to give strong discernment to the teaching of others and to give great care for that. His death was for the sheep. So the difference between a hired hand and the good shepherd is the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Here's a second. As owner, as the good shepherd, he sees what's going on and he never flees. The hired hand sees the wolf. What does it say? He just runs away. Thinks of himself and thinks of his own safety. And I tell you, the ownership of God over my life, I'm amazed by and I praise him for it. That my life is connected to him. And I love what it said here. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. See, Jesus says here, to know Christ means that we belong to the great shepherd. We are his. He is the master. He is the ruler. He is the one who cares for our very soul. And the father who gave the son, and the son who laid his life down, and then the son ascends, and the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost to dwell in us. So the father, son, and the spirit are not going to abandon their people. We are not going to be alone. He is going to fight for His sheep. And He will plead with us and call you and I to be in deep relationship with Him. And so this ownership of God communicates the Father who gave the Son, the Son who gave His life, and the Spirit who indwells us will never step back and not do their God roles in our lives. They will always be active at that. And there's great hope that's there. He cares for his possession. You know what his ownership means? We are never, ever abandoned. And I'm about to make a statement that should rise up joy in our heart and confidence in our heart. And here it is. Jesus is never afraid of the wolf. Ever afraid of the wolf. He and Satan are not equals. He has defeated death. He has defeated the enemy. Jesus is the conqueror. He wins. That is already firmly established. So he is not afraid of the wolf. And he has no fear of any of the enemies that seek to dominate our lives. And his insight on this situation of seeing the enemy, seeing the wolf, being ready to engage means this. That he's aware of what's going on in our lives. He sees and he engages to protect. Now, if we want to step away and rebel and go and be a prodigal, people do that. And it ends up in emptiness in prodigal land. But there's a father. If you stay near the father, will take care of us, give us daily needs, and then give super abundant things in our lives. And so he's aware. His ownership means that he's aware. He sees and he knows and he engages. He's willing to do that. He doesn't leave the sheep and flee because of the wolf because he has no fear of our enemy. Jesus didn't run away from the danger of the cross. 
but he willingly went all the way to his own slaughter as the Passover lamb. And he's not going to leave you and I unprotected. Hired hand flees in the face of fear. Jesus as the good shepherd remains in a posture of fighting and engaging the enemy when he comes to snatch and scatter. And I tell you, Jesus was willing to pay the highest price to protect the sheep, to bring us into relationship with him because it cost him his life. And I tell you, the cross ought to move us deeply to be so in awe of the good shepherd who lays his life down for us and to be reminded of how awesome and how beautiful that picture is for us. I've never tried to pull an animal out of a lion's mouth. I'm guessing that sounds dangerous to me. But King David did it. He chased down a lion. He chased down a bear. And he would snatch them out of the mouth. And our Jesus, who loves us and who is our good shepherd, is going to fight for his people. Now again, if you and I want to wander away to distant foreign land away from him and live for ourselves, he's not going to be a part of that and he's not going to bless that. But if you want to stay at home and be near, then he's going to bless that. And he is going to care for us and he will fight and protect. But again, I just want to remind us, this doesn't mean, this abundant life theme and this fighting and protecting, doesn't mean that things are... This side of heaven, trouble is going to come whether we want it or not. Sometimes it comes in our decisions and sometimes it comes by a broken, fallen world where sickness and things are here. But there is one who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death that we can trust. And near to the shepherd is the most secure place to ensure the stability in the life of a sheep. Here's the third thing Jesus says here. The shepherd cares for the sheep. The hired hand flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. In those days back then, that as soon as a young boy was old enough, the dad put him with the sheep and he had to stay with them all day, all night, and he began to learn what it was like and connect and to bond with the sheep. So the shepherd became deeply connected with them. They kind of became extensions of who he was. But with a hired hand, there was no love. There was no relationship. And that's why he just runs. Now, I don't own a business. But I bet if you own a business, um, people who make the minimum wage switch jobs a lot and, and different things like that. And let me just, let me just say this, and, that, and I just heard about that, and I want to make this point. Jesus wasn't hired by the minimum wage to be our shepherd. He wasn't hired for a couple of hours. So when trouble came, he just would back off. He came and he did this laying down of his life for his Father's glory and for our great good. So this is one of those things that he paid the highest price. He paid the highest price so that you and I could be in relationship with Him. And so He cares. In other words, He cares for the sheep. He's not going to be moved off by a 
higher offer somewhere. He has given the highest thing that he could give. He has given himself. And false shepherds and hired hands never laid their lives down for the sheep. Here's the next thing that's important for us to see. This good shepherd is God. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. This relationship comes about because... God knows us, and then in relationship, we know Him. It's, it's connected to this knowing relationship of our faith with Christ, knowing relationship of the Father and the Son, and what they know of one another, and this knowing relationship that is centered on Christ's substitutionary death. But let me just say this, and we'll move to the next point. Catch the significance of these words. I know my own, and my own know me. I know my own, and my own know me. You see, his relational knowledge of us means that he is committed to us. Each and every one of the sheep, he knows us. I read an article a few months back about a guy who was talking to a shepherd. And this guy was a Christian talking to the shepherd, and and the shepherd was describing um, his sheep that were in front of him. I want you to listen to these words. The guy writes, the individual sheep in a flock, to the untrained eye, they all look exactly the same. They're sheep. There they are. They all are the same. But a good shepherd, however, he can tell them apart often, listen to this, because of their defects or peculiar traits in their lives. A man who was tending a large flock explained to a Christian friend who expressed surprise at his familiarity with every animal in his flock. The shepherd said, see that sheep over there? Notice how it toes in a little. The one behind it has a squint. The next one has a patch of wool off its back. Ahead of one is a distinguishing black mark, while the one closest to us has a small piece torn out of its ear. Observing all of them, the believer thought about Christ, the chief good shepherd, who knows the individual weaknesses Markings and failings of his flock. And he watches over the members with discerning love and sympathetic understanding. He closes with this. With infinite concern, he notes the doubts, the fears, the trials, the conflicts, and the defeats that disturb their peace. And he swiftly comes to their aid. Do you know what the Good Shepherd knows this morning? in this room better than you and I know in our own lives. He knows our burdens. He knows our needs. He knows the aches in our heart. He knows our brokenness. He knows what gives us joy. He knows what is coming next in our lives and he's already there. He knows every mountain of our life, every valley in our life that we face. He knows about our broken dreams. He knows our dark battles. He knows the dark night of the soul that we experience. He knows our frustrations with the mess of our country. He knows it all. And the good shepherd's eye is always on the sheep. And because of that, he knows your life and my life. So when we come to him and say, God, I'm here again. 
He can say, not sarcastically, yeah, I know, this is the 138,000th time we've talked about this. And I love you still. And I want to help you get over this. And to find the freedom that you need. See, the good shepherd is God. He knows us. And because of this relationship, we can know Him. Now, I want to show something encouraging. I want to have you look at the screen here in just a moment. But I want to talk... Um, about the Good Shepherd's global reach. Now, we talked a few weeks ago, early in John chapter 10, that Jesus, as the Good Shepherd, was calling the Jews out of Judaism into a relationship with them. So there, there was these sheep that he had that were in this, this pen called Judaism. He was calling them out from all the ritualistic and rules to come to a relationship with him. And now he's going to flip it. He's not going to talk about Jews. And he talks about Gentiles. Look at verse 16. And he says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must, notice the emphasis here, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. Listen to this. This is greatly encouraging. The missionary mandate of the Good Shepherd for the last 2,000 years is to call both Jews and Gentiles into relationship with them. Calling them to know them. So he's calling the Jews out of, out of where they have been stuck for thousands of years. He is calling Gentiles out who worship idols and buy into the things of the world and get lost and all that. Calling us out from false gods into a relationship with Him. And He says, I must bring them in also. So for 2,000 years, the message of the Good Shepherd has gone around the world to bring in those not yet in the sheepfold. And there's a full history of those who have heard and listened to His voice. They have been called and they have responded to salvation of His doing. So last year the world stopped down. Y'all remember that, right? Remember 2020? God didn't stop working. The Good Shepherd was calling people in 2020 to Himself. So people here came to know Christ at our church. There are people all over the world who came to know Christ. We have a partnership in Asia, a mission partnership, where the gospel mandate where we train and, and give money and train leaders and pour our lives out there. God was doing work. And I want to show you what's gone on in just the last couple of months. So Ren's going to show you three pictures. Here's a baptism in a river in Asia. Look at all those ladies about to be baptized. There's a full line of men on the other side about to be baptized. And then, as you know, we have high up in the Himalayas, among an unreached people group. Go, go stay on the first one, would you, Ren, for a second? Yeah. So high up in the Himalayas, among an unreached people group, listen to this, where for the last 2,000 years, the name of Jesus has not even been heard. So their partner, our partners there heard about this, found out that there was somebody there through some other means, became a believer. There's a church that started meeting in a house. We've sent some money to them. And up in the middle of an unreached people group who had not, as of about a year ago, had never heard the name of Jesus, 
This is a church that's being built in the midst of those people. Go to the second one. That's the wall. And there it is. They're about to go. They have to petition the government to go to the jungle to cut down trees so they can build trusses to put the roof on. But probably in a couple of months, there's about, listen to this, 16 believers now where for 2,000 years nobody knew the name of Jesus. And they're about to be meeting in that building. And your faithful tithing and giving and our commitment to seeing the gospel go to places where Jesus is not named. Romans 15, by the way. The global reach of the Good Shepherd is happening and we've been a part of that in 2020. And we've not been able to go, but it's easy to electronically nowadays send money to fund and do work. And so God is at work here. God is at work all over the world bringing people in according to Jesus. I have other sheep that I'm calling into relationship with me because I'm the one who lays my life down for the sheep so that they can know me. So look at 17 and 18. We're about to be done. So for this reason, Jesus says, the Father loves me because I lay my life I lay down my life and that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord and I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So I'm just going to make a, several statements here that I think are really important. Let's not misunderstand the first part of verse 17 where it says that the reason the Father loves me is because I lay my life down. He the Father wasn't waiting to love Jesus until the cross. He loved Jesus fully before the cross. How could He love Jesus fully before the cross? According to Christ's words here, for this reason He loves me because I laid down my life. You know why the Father loved Him completely before the cross? Because He knew Jesus was going to embrace the cross. He was never going to not embrace the cross. His unequaled obedience it wasn't like, well, I'm going to wait and if you go all the way to the cross and I'll love you. No, he loved him before it. Why? Because the son was going to be obedient and he was going to follow through and he would do this. D.A. Carson writes of this. It is not that the father withholds his love until Jesus agrees to give up his life on the cross and rise again. Rather, the love of the father for the son is eternally linked with the unqualified obedience of the son of the father. His utter dependence upon Him, culminating in this greatest act of obedience now just before Him. So He's loved by the Father in heaven. The glory of His life being laid down, the glory of the gift of His life is amazing. Thirdly, just the glory of Jesus in the resurrection. He speaks of the resurrection here. He will lay His life down and He will take His life up again. He has that authority. He's speaking of dying and rising and the willingness of Jesus to lay down His life should deeply move us today. Notice what He says in 18. No one takes His life from Him. Satan didn't take Jesus' life. Jesus laid His life down. He willingly did that to pay the price for you and I. That is His goodness. That's the striking beauty of the Good Shepherd today. He wasn't forced. He didn't like, I'll give you a Reese's or Oreo. No, he, wasn't, he didn't have to be manipulated. He was in himself 
motivated as God to rescue us as the Savior, to lay His life down. And He was okay with His act of obedience. He embraced it all the way to the end. And it causes me to be humble today and to just want to worship Him. That He willingly did this for us. He was not forced to do this. No one took His life. It was the plan, and he embraced it. He has the authority to lay down his life and to take up his life. And it's ridiculous, this authority, the governments, our government, the governments of the world think that they have over people. We are free in Christ. Yes, we submit to the governing authorities. That is biblical. But I want to remind you and I today, we live as His people by a higher standard, and that is the standard of Scripture. And the governments of the world have always strong-armed people. They've always told people what they can do about their relationship with God and all of that, and that is not going to end. As a matter of fact, it's going to get worse toward the end, whenever the end is. But the reality of this is that there is only one real authority, and that is the authority of Jesus. And he's got the authority to lay his life down. He's got the authority to take it up again. And this authority was given to him by the Father. So the ultimate authority in the world is Christ. And so he is the one that we must be connected with. Last words. His words create division. So in this room today, as I've talked, some of you have gone, when's this going to be over? You've looked at your watch, you've looked at the back of the wall, and you've gone, gosh, he says these things a lot. Gosh, he's kind of gone on. And every time the Bible is proclaimed in a room, there are two responses. One response is, this is crazy stuff. Or the other response is, this is God stuff, and I must align my life with it so jesus says this and here it is there was again a division among the jews because of these words many of them said that guy's got a demon he's insane why listen to him and then there were others who said no 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 that's those aren't the words of a man oppressed by a demon because he goes all the way back to john chapter 9 um Demonic men aren't giving sight to men born blind. So this impact in John 9 of the man born blind who has his sight now is still powerfully at work. And the shepherd's words create division. And they will, listen to my heart, they will continue to. Those who embrace the shepherd's words, our culture is a lying culture. Just what it does. It just flows naturally. So our best defense against the lies is to know what? The truth. He is the truth. His word is truth. He prayed on the night that he was arrested that you and I would be sanctified in the truth. That is our weapon. If you want to know what to do today, know this. Because the more you know this, the more you know what, this, what is being said and you can recognize its lies and be able to lovingly share the truth. 
So I'm going to close with this. I brought something with me today. I don't know if I've ever told you before, but I play a game called disc golf. You know, I think, I, I think last week, I, talk, I know I talk about disc golf a lot. I think Finley leaned over to her mom last week and said, we know already you like disc golf. But anyway, um, I'm going to continue to talk about it. So, been about six weeks ago. I was at Town Lake in McKinney, this golf course, early March. It's still kind of cold at night. Water flowing through the creek through there. It's not summertime swimming pool water. Well, these discs, a disc golfer loves them almost with all their heart, but you have to love Jesus with all your heart. But, um, but if you lose one of these in the water, you've got to try to get it out. And so, so <clears throat> I'll show you one of my tools. So we saw some discs. I was playing with Brad. It was Brad and I. And <laughs> so this is one of my tools. If I lose a disc, that I can reach way out in the water and grab it and pull it toward me, drag it toward me so that I can get it. If this doesn't work, look how tall that thing is. That? That's pretty awesome. So, if that doesn't work, you can't get to it. We have other tricks of the trade. This is called a golden retriever. And so you throw it out in the water, and it catches the disc, and you pull it back to you, and you can lift it up, and you can get your disc. Well, I'd gotten a couple of discs with my pole, or gotten one disc with my pole and one disc with my golden retriever. But there were other discs I could see down there. It had rained about four or five days before, and the water had risen and was kind of down. And I could see discs in there, and the water was cold. And there were discs down there, and, and it was like this one. I remember this one lying there, and I could hear it up on the bank. I could hear it. It was saying, find me, find me. Well, I couldn't get it. And so I looked at Brad and said, okay, I'm going in. So I took my shoes off, I took my socks off, and I climbed down a 20-foot bank, and I stepped into the water and took my breath away. It was a little cold initially, and I began to walk all up around a bend like this. I think it's about 75 yards. Some of them I couldn't even see. I could just step on them, and I felt them. Okay, that's a disc. And I'd get it between my toes and pull it up and get it. By the time that was over, I found 15 discs, lost discs that day. Here they all are. I found every one of them. And they're mine now. (laughs) I will be going to replay sports store and getting about $150 worth of credit from these. But for right now, they're mine and I'm keeping them and I've had them. I hope you get the point. We were stuck. And our sovereign, loving, perfect God climbed out of heaven and became a baby. And he grew up to be a man who loved people like you and me. And he stepped into this world and he he used his tools to bring people into relationship with him. And these, these are mine. And we are His. We belong to Him. We were lost, 
Now we are found. We were blind. We can see. We once lived in darkness. Now we live in light. And this comes because the shepherd is good. He is so good to come and to search out people like you and I and to bring us into relationship. And so our response today is to say, here is my heart, here's my life. I lay it down, I give it to you because you are the only good. You are the only good in a broken world. In the midst of the lies, you are the only truth. And so God, thank you. Thank you for being a seeking God for the lost. Aren't you glad you're found if you are found? Are you not glad you're found? And so for the rest of our lives, our response is uniting with the Good Shepherd whose global mandate is to take the gospel from here to the nations to tell people about this Good Shepherd. Let's pray.